Well, today we are starting, like Belinda said, a brand new series called Love. Love everybody and always. It is easy, is it not, to become indifferent, to become callous to people that are around us, people that are hurting, helpless, and hopeless, people who need our love, and they need for us to show concern for their life. One of the contributors to this indifference is prosperity. Truly, prosperity is more dangerous than adversity. When we are experiencing the good times, it is easy to be self-absorbed. It is easy to think that you are invincible and nothing is going to happen to you and, as a, and, and all of it, but, but that can change. All of a sudden, circumstances can change where you begin to see the bottom fall out from you, under you. Maybe kind of like a 9-11 event. And all of a sudden, you begin to notice others more so than yourself. Truly, tragedies oftentimes wake us up to the more important things in life. Jesus shares a story along these lines. Out of Luke chapter 12, let's immerse ourselves into this. There was a rich man, Jesus says, whose lands produced bountiful harvest. He asked himself, what should I do for I don't have enough space to store my goods? In other words, you know what? God's just blessing the socks off me. What am I going to do with all these blessings? Then he says, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build large ones. Then I'll say to myself, I have so many good things stored up for me. Now rest, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this night your life will be demanded of you, and then to whom will all your things belong? Thus, it, thus will it be for anyone who stores up treasure for himself but is not rich in what matters to God. Will you circle that phrase, what matters to God? This guy was only thinking of himself. He was experiencing the adrenaline rush of prosperity. As, he, as that was happening in his life, it never occurred to him that the way that God was blessing his life, that they were to be blessings to other people. He never thought that. He thought, you know what? I'm going to build bigger barns, and I'm going to store all my stuff in storage places. Have you noticed the storage places in Collin County? Do you realize that the average person puts their stuff, whatever their stuff is, into a storage facility for 33 months? Do you realize that during those 33 months, they could have paid off or bought that stuff that's in that storage bin twice over? This guy is looking at his mini storage. He says, look at all that I've accumulated. And he's saying, Man, I'm living the good life. And God says, you're missing the most important thing in life. What is that? Well, Paul explains it in Galatians 5, 6, where he says this. If you are a follower of Christ Jesus, all that matters is your faith that makes you love others. What God says that matters most isn't 
your achievements or your accomplishments or what you've accumulated. What matters most is your faith that makes you love other people. God says, if you miss that, guess what? You're missing the most important thing in life. Like I said, today we're beginning a new series called Love. Love everybody and always out of 1 Corinthians 13. And let me give you the backdrop of why we're doing this. In January, I laid out a three-year vision that I called the 2020 vision. And I said in year 17, the year that we're in, that we're going to focus in on love. Loving God, loving others, and loving our community. We've already talked about loving God We took a look at that through the Lord's Prayer because love starts when you and I begin to listen and communicate with God. Now we're in the third of the year. We're gonna take a look at 1 Corinthians 13, what it means to love everybody and always. Then when we get back off of vacation, kind of in August when school gets reengaged, we're gonna take a look at loving our community with two aspects, God's grace and God's mercy. Now, during this time, to set up for 2018, because I don't know where you're at in your planning, but really, I'm in 2019. I'm working on 2019 right now. Lord willing, we'll be able to do finish 2017 and get into 2018. But to get ready for 2018, what we're doing this year is we're kind of priming the pump for the year of hope, okay? The year of hope is going to be divided up into three areas, personal renewal, relational renewal, and then missional renewal. Uh, Personal renewal, in in January of 2000, I'm gonna teach about how you can personally get a retreat by yourself. Doesn't cost you anything, it's on your own, you can check into a hotel, whatever, and how to get renewed with God so that your hope starts going this way. Because what I've experienced in the last probably 10 years is that we live in a very hopeless world. We're gonna do the same thing about couples. Okay, we're going to have a couples teach, I'm going to teach you how couples can have a personal retreat to renew their hope in their relationship with one another. Also, as a church, we're going to have a women's conference and a men's conference, kind of during that time. The last third of 2018 is going to be missional renewal, and we're going to teach you how we can reach 195 slash maybe 196, depending on how you want to count Taiwan, the world distributing one Bible and one track as we go on vacations in the next 10 years. Then in 2019, it's gonna be about building, it's gonna be about faith, it's gonna be the year of faith. And we're gonna know the faith of our fathers and take a look at the eight basic doctrines of the Christian faith. And then we're gonna take a look at building the faith of our families. And then the last third of the year is gonna be taking a look at expressing our faith in the future. We're going to do a capital campaign. We sold the land back here, and so we are getting much closer and paying off our facilities. And I think by the year 2019, we'll be able to do that so that we can pass it on to the next generation debt-free, okay? So that's where we're going, and that gets us to 2020. That's why I call it the 2020 vision, okay? But we're in the year 2017 of love. Now, when a speaker wants to get your attention, they will say something over and over and over again. I call it creative redundancy. And these first few verses in 1 Corinthians 13, God 
says through Paul five, says the same thing five different ways. And in essence, what he says is simply this. Relationships are the most important thing in your life. And he says it five different ways. The first way is this. Will you write this down? If I don't live a life of love, nothing I say will matter. Take a look at verse one. If I could speak in any language in heaven or on earth, but I didn't love others, I would only be making meaningless noise like a loud gong or a clanging symbol. In other words, words without love is just noise. Now, we don't think that way. In our culture, we are impressed by great speakers, are we not? I mean, when the president speaks, I mean, there's all these people that we watch. Oh, this is a great speech, and they criticize it. I mean, we're into speaking. We love eloquence. We love charisma in our culture. We love someone who can just share the right words and stir our soul. But God comes along and says, you know what? That doesn't impress me at all. I just want to know whether you love other people. Is your life a life of love? Because living a life without, without love means nothing that I say matters. It's just noise. Secondly, he says the same thing about relationships. If I don't live a life with love, nothing I know will matter. Take a look at verse 2. I may have the gift of prophecy. I may understand all the secret things of God. I may have all knowledge, but if I don't have love, then I am nothing. I may be a genius. I may be a walking Bible encyclopedia. And folks, I know some of those, okay? They're so of heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good, okay? <laughs> they, they, they are so impractical. They don't know what the price of corn is in Iowa or anywhere else in this world, okay? They're just walking Bible encyclopedias. God says, guess what? Doesn't mean anything. You can be an Albert Einstein. Doesn't mean anything. If you don't have love in your life, all that you know is worthless. Now understand this. We live in a world where knowledge is exploding. Do you understand that the av just average knowledge doubles every 13 months? Some knowledge is exploding even faster than that. We are the smartest generation that this world has ever seen. But guess what? We still have the same old problems, don't we? We still have war, hatred, racism, violence. I still, I've never seen such a divided world and country in my lifetime. And yet we can't get it together. You see, why is it that we have all these problems? Well, folks, it isn't because of knowledge. Because it's not about knowledge. It's about love. And God is just driving this home. He's saying, without love, all that you say is meaningless. Without, uh, without love, all that you know doesn't matter. The third thing that he says is, if I don't live a life with love, nothing I believe will matter. Now, there is a myth out there that says that being a Christian is just a matter of believing certain truths. Nothing could be further from the truth. You see, following Jesus is more, is more than just believing certain doctrinal truths. It's living a life of love. Take a look at this verse in verse 2. Even if I have the gift of faith, so I could speak to a mountain and make it move. In other words, I could be this miracle worker. 
I will still be worth nothing at all without love. You see, it takes more than just faith to please God. But wait a minute, Pastor George, I I believe in Jesus. Well, so what? The devil believes in Jesus, and you're not going to find the devil in heaven. Why is that? Because it takes more than belief. It takes loving Jesus. The Bible says, I can say that I love God, but if I don't love my neighbor, I'm only fooling myself. Folks, that is a profound thought. God is driving this home. And the fourth way that he's driving this home, that relationships are what are are most important, is this. If I don't live a life of love, nothing I give will matter. Take a look at verse 3. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, in other words, if I became a martyr, even if I became a financial martyr, like Buffett, okay, and I just gave away all my money, but I didn't love others, I would be of no value whatsoever. Can you be in a relationship and give for selfish motives? Sure you can. Giving's not necessarily a sign of love. You see, some people give just to get back. Have you noticed that? Some people really give more of themselves just before a review, a performance review. Have you noticed that? So that when they get reviewed, they'll hopefully get more money. You do know what that's called. It's called manipulation. Some people give gifts at Christmas time hoping that they'll get a bigger gift back, okay? Some people give out of guilt to appease their conscience. Some people give to control. Do you know any parents like that? Some people give for prestige. Have you ever walked into a big building and then there's all these names of these donors out there? For prestige. The Bible says if you and I give for the wrong motives, guess what? It doesn't count. I can't tell you how many people have come into my office and says, Pastor George, I've given this person everything. I mean, they have the kind of lifestyle that they want. They drive the car that they want. They live in the neighborhood that they want. They have all the little glitzy things that they want, and they're leaving me. And I think, have you given them love, though? And have you given them the right currency of love? I know a lot of parents who try to compensate for their lack of time with their kids by buying them things. Folks, our kids don't need more things. They need more of our time and more of our love. God is just driving this in. What's important are your relationships. The fifth thing that he says is that if I don't live a life of love, nothing I accomplish will matter. Notice this verse in verse three. No matter what I say or what I believe or what I, circle word, do, I'm bankrupt without love. You can rack up an an incredible list of accomplishments. You can get your picture on Time Magazine. You can win the Nobel Prize, uh, a peace prize. You can be the entrepreneur of the year. You can build a billion dollar company. But the Bible says it isn't worth squat if it's not done in love. God says relationships are far more important than accomplishments. So let me summarize for us these first few verses that God just keeps pounding and pounding and pounding to get this point in, that relationships are most important. 
this way. God says, I can be and have the eloquence of an orator, the knowledge of a genius, the faith of a miracle worker, the generosity of a philanthropist, and the achievements of a superstar. But if I don't have love, it doesn't mean a thing. It's squat. Zero, zilch, it doesn't count. The only thing that matters is do I love God and do I love other people? Folks, one day you and I are gonna stand before God and he is going to evaluate your life based on who he is. And there is one characteristic that is absolutely clear about who God is. God is love. And when he does, he's not gonna be looking at your bank account or your sports trophies or your grades or your resume or your list of accomplishments. What he's gonna do is he's gonna evaluate you on this question. How much did you love me and how much did you love other people? That is our purpose statement. We believe a great commitment to the great commandment because that's what the great commandment is, loving God and loving other people. We'll grow a great church and it will grow great people. You see, I don't care that our church, I don't want our church to be known for its size. I don't want it to be known for its buildings. I don't want it to be known for its teaching. You know what I want our church to really be known for? Is that we love the hurting and the helpless and the hopeless in our life. That we've shown concern and care. That we came alongside of them and put our arms around them because I'm gonna tell you this, this world is hurting. I've been in ministry almost 40 years and as I like to say, everybody is hurting somewhere. And people are crying out, will someone just look me in the eyes and know that I'm a person that has a soul? Will someone just come along and put their arm around me? I haven't been touched in a healthy way for years. Will someone just speak a kind word to me? Our world is hurting. And it is so easy to get caught up in the adrenaline of prosperity and miss people. And yet the Bible says very clearly that this is the primary thing in life. This is the supreme value. This is the greatest power. And that is why in this three-year vision, 2020 vision, that the first year is devoted all to love. Loving others, loving, or loving God, loving others, and loving our community. Folks, love is the most powerful, primary, supreme thing in the world. Now the question that is raised is this. What in the world is it? What is love? Because in our world, we hear that word thrown around a lot, do we not? It's probably one of the most frequent words used in the English language. I mean, Myself this week, I, I, I love my wife, I love my kids, I love dogs, I hate cats. No, sorry. <laughs> I really don't like cats, but okay, I love cats, okay, they were made by God. I love hot dogs. I love hot dogs with sauerkraut. I love hot dogs with sauerkraut with lots of mustard because I really love mustard. I love kolaches. I had one this week. I, I, I love 
Krispy Kreme donuts. I had one back there in the tech booth. Folks, I love all kinds of different things. And in our culture, they accommodate that, don't they? We have love stories, love letters, and we have love songs. But what is so interesting is that nobody defines it. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go to the computer, type in, define love. Pops up, see emotions and sex. And I thought, I already know about sex, okay? I've been married 42 years. I know about that, but I'm a guy. I probably don't know anything about emotions. I'll read about emotions, okay? I read it, and the word love is used one time, and it doesn't define it. And I thought, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read about sex. There were no pictures, just letting you know that, okay? It mentioned the word love four times and still didn't define it. And I thought, you know what? Our culture knows more about sex than it does about real, mature, Christ-like love. Now the one that I feel the most cautious about in the way of our culture, defining love is music. Music has a way to get to your soul. Wouldn't you agree with that? I'm not against pop music. But a lot of the music that, that is sung on the radio or Sirius XM or whatever really aren't love songs. Folks, they're lust songs. They're about getting and not giving, okay? If you don't give it to me, I'm going to take it anyway. Honestly, our culture has not learned that love can always wait to give, but lust can never wait to get. When a person comes along and says, if you love me, you'll let me. The other person I say, if you love me, you'll wait. The number one album as of 2017 were by the Amigos called Culture. And they talked about love in the way of sexual violence and rape. Folks, that's not love. But the question is a valid question, is it not? What is love? Well, it's going to take time to unpack that. It's going to take eight weeks to unpack what that means. And what you hear, I guarantee you, over these next eight weeks is going to surprise you. It's going to shock you. But this morning, let me start by giving you a few definitions. The first one is simply this, that love is a command. You see, God commands that we love each other. It is not an option or optional. When you and I don't love, guess what the Bible calls that? It calls that a sin, okay? Take a look at 2 John 1, 6. Love means doing what God has commanded. He has commanded us to love one another. Now, you may be sitting here and you may think, well, I can live without love. No, you can't. You you can exist without love, but you cannot uh, live without love. And you can't please God without it because it is a command. That verse right there destroys the first myth that our culture has about love, which is this. Will you write this down? Love is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. We know that because you can't command a feeling. You can't. Have you ever said to a young child that is just crying, mad, upset, I command you to be happy right now? I'm sure some of us have tried that, okay? Take that frown off your face and put a smile on your face. I want you to have a happy heart right now. I command you to do that. Folks, 
you no more can command that emotion than you can the wind. Feelings cannot be commanded. Love is not a feeling. Now, don't misunderstand me. It creates feelings. No doubt about that. When people say, I feel love, what they're saying is, I feel some kind of emotion. But love is more than an emotion because God would never command us to do something that we are unable to do. The second thing that love is, is that love is a choice. We can choose to love or we can choose not to love. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 14.1. Go after a life of love as if your life depended on it because it does. Will you circle the word go after? What is Paul saying here? Simply this, that it's a choice. Choose to go after this. Decide to go after this. Make this a, vol a volitional act of your will to go after this. Now this destroys the second myth about love, which is this, that love is uncontrollable. You see, we think like we're going out for a walk that one day we just fell in love, okay? Just, I couldn't control, I just was walking one day and I fell in love like I tripped over the crack in the sidewalk and I fell into this ditch. I just couldn't help it, okay? Help, I've fallen in love and I can't get up, okay? That's, that's the way we think. That's what our culture kind of puts out there. Folks, I can't tell you how many times I've had someone come into the office and use this excuse for a breakup. Pastor George, I've just fallen out of love. I just don't love them anymore. As if it was beyond their control. You see, let's be honest. From that verse, we know that love is a choice. And we need to re-gear our thinking and our phrasing by saying something like this, I'm choosing not to love them right now. You see, if the truth were known, acting in love is far greater when you and I don't feel like it than when we do feel like it. When we are experiencing the adrenal rush of prosperity. Truly, the real test of love is when things aren't going well. When you're sick, when you've lost your job, when you don't have the money, and you choose to love that individual. Folks, that is the higher form of love. Have you ever grown up, or yeah, have you ever gotten up in the middle of the night with a sick child? I know some of you have. I see a lot of young families come in. There was one this morning of a young mom. I think the baby was like one month old. You could see in their eyes they were tired. I said, you getting any sleep? No. I was thinking, sucks being you. I'm glad my kids are growing, okay. <laughs> no, but... That's love, isn't it? Getting up with their kid in the middle of the night when they don't feel like it. Have you ever been patient with your spouse when the lights are on but no one's home? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Folks, that's love. Love gives a person what they need, not what they deserve. That's the way God is with us. God gives you and I what we need, not what we deserve. If I got what I deserve, guess what? I wouldn't be here right now. And either would you. God gives us what we need. And you know what that's called? That's called grace and that's called mercy. And wait till we get into the fall. We're going to expand on that. Love gives 
another person without, guarantee, without any kind of guarantee that they'll get anything back. And so love is a command. It's not a feeling. Love is a choice. It is not uncontrollable. The third thing that love is, is a conduct. It is an action. It is something that you do. Take a look at 1 John 3, verse 18. Let us stop just saying we love people. Let us really love them and show it by our actions. You see, love isn't a feeling. It produces feelings, but it isn't a feeling. Love isn't something that you say. Folks, love is something that you do. It is a behavior. It is an action. It is an activity. It is more than a Hallmark card. It is more than a sentimental card that you might buy at Hallmark for, I don't know, six bucks now. They're a little kind of small. They've really raised the price, so go to the dollar store. They're a buck, okay? Because love isn't just a card. It is something that you do. Reminds me of the millennial guy who, who's been dating this gal for forever and says, I love you so much, I would die for you. And the millennial gal says, you say that all the time, but you never do it. Love is an action. It is something that you do. And guess what? Every minute of every day, God is giving you and I opportunities to love people. But you can't be caught up in the adrenaline rush of prosperity to do it. There are people screaming for it. God gives you and I opportunities all the time. Did you know that? The problem is that we're into achievement and accomplishments and accumulating things. Honestly, how many times have you thought, you know, when I get home, I need to, I need to write a letter to this person. And you didn't do it. How many times have you thought, you know, when I get home, I, I just want to email them, and it didn't happen? How many times have you thought, you know, I'm going to give them a phone call because I just kind of want to cheer them up. I think they're going through some tough times, and it didn't happen. You see, we have great intentions, but oftentimes because of our adrenaline of pursuing prosperity, we forget all about it and the opportunity is gone. Well, there are three messages that a pastor should never screw up on, okay? Teaching this to my son. One is Easter. You don't screw up at Easter. One is Christmas. You don't screw up Christmas message, okay? And the third one is Mother's Day. You don't screw up that message, okay? I guarantee you that, okay? You don't screw it up. So what we're going to do, we don't want to miss the opportunity of honoring moms. I thought about making it the Guinness World Record one. It would be like uh, 60 feet wide and 30 feet tall, you know, folded like that. But we're going to have a giant card in the back of the sanctuary. And we're having our kids write notes to their moms. And we're going to post it there. And I want to give you an opportunity to write your mom a note on this card. We're going to take, take a picture of it, and we're going to put it on Facebook, okay? Don't miss it. And that starts next week. God says that love is a command. 
that it is a choice, that it is a conduct, it is a fourth thing. Love is a commitment. Take a look at 1 John 4, verse 6. God is love. If we keep on loving others, we will stay one in our hearts with God, and he will stay one with us. Will you circle the phrase, keep on loving? John is saying there, when you persevere in your love, when you don't let go of your love, when you keep loving that other person, your heart is becoming like God's heart. You're becoming like the energizer bunny that just keeps going and going and going and going. Now, if you do that, if you choose love, if you follow the command of love, if you make it a conduct, if you make it a commitment, and you go the distance, you will be communicating in your relational world covenant love versus contractual love. Covenant love is based on trust. Contractual love is based on distrust. Covenant love is based on unlimited responsibilities. Contractual love is based on limited liabilities. And covenant love never ends regardless. Whereas contractual love can be voided by mutual consent. God wants us to love everybody always in a covenant way. Now, I want to warn you that if you take this series seriously, if you choose to get on board with it, if you decide, you know what, I don't want to be a shallow lover anymore. I want to have mature love. I realize that the most important thing isn't the pursuit of the adrenaline of prosperity, but rather of building relationships that are in my world. I want to warn you that if you choose to do that, that commitment will be tested. Will you write this down? Mature love is a tested love. Now this series isn't about marriage. But my reference point is 42 years of marriage. Will you pull out that whiteboard, whoever is here? I'll get it. Where do you want it, Mark, right? It's here. In 42 years of marriage, I would say that my wife and I, Cheryl, have gone through four seasons where our love has been tested. I call it the tunnel of chaos. If you remember, I, I did a series on the tunnel of chaos. I don't know, about a year ago. And what has happened in 42 years in this tunnel of chaos is that my wife and I have gone from one side to the other. We've gone from being strangers to one another to friends. We've gone from being just partners to soulmates. We've gone from being unknown to one another to being known. We have gone from a performance-based relationship to acceptance. And we've gone through four. My guess is if you analyze all of your relationships, your spouse, if you have one, your family, mom and dad, kids, your rela- you'll, you'll see that you've gone through different ones. For Cheryl and I, it's this. Our first 
season was what I call young love. And it was a test of our priorities. And mentally, we were get, coming to know what was really important in our relationship, i.e. that my wife was number one and not the church. The second season was what I call tested love. And it was about possibilities. This first one was about 10 years. The second one was like the 10th through our 20th year. And it was about the test of possibilities. Living in a world when you've got a lot of kids and everything, you go, man, I don't know. I don't wish I wasn't married. Wish I wasn't married to her at times, you know. It's about escapism and fantasy. What we learned emotionally was that we, God was wanting us to accept each other. The third season was from, kind of from the 20s to 30s, and it's what I call mature love. And the test was about people, about p- putting people before ourselves. And primarily that came in when we took in elderly parents and we cared for them for years. That put us in a tunnel of chaos where we began to understand one another a little better. And relationally, we learned about honoring other people above ourselves. And then the last one, which we're in now, I would call it the 40s and, and, and following, is what I call faithful love. And it's all built around the physical. Uh, my phrase for it is, everything is working, but it's wobbly. You know what I'm talking about? It's working, but it's wobbly. And you know what I went through from August through basically November, almost all of November. And I sat down and I wrote about that experience, just some of the highlights. Is that during this time, this is what my wife went and I through. We prayed, we claimed promises, we laughed, we cried, we were optimistic, we were fearful, we were discouraged. We grew closer to God. We grew closer to each other. We questioned God. We kept working at our jobs when we wanted to quit. We encouraged people who were going through through stuff, little stuff, lesser than what we were going through, and encouraged people who were going through bigger things than we were going through. We were quiet in each other's presence. There were times that we talked each other's ear off. We went on drives just to get away from the house. Some days we just stayed in the house the whole time. We got mad at each other. And we got and we laughed and we're happy with one another. During those 4 months when I was recouping with the different procedure that I have, my wife would get up at 4:30 in the morning to prep me so that I could be at my six o'clock appointments during the week. And then when I would get home at nine, 10 o'clock at night, she would still be up cleaning things up and prepping me, and while I fell asleep, she was still cleaning things up and didn't get to bed till midnight, and then would wake up at 4.30 and start it all over again. A mature love is a tested love. And what God has taught us in this This stage here is that God is helping Cheryl and I to realize that we are spiritually modeling to the next generation what Christ-like mature love is all about. The question is this, what gets you through the tunnel of chaos? John 8, 32. Jesus said it like this, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And in this series, we're going to understand truth. 
truth about love, truth about kindness and envy and humility and respect and patience and forgiveness and the truth about telling the truth to one another. And I have to confess, as I've been prepping this message, just working it over in my mind, I was deeply and am deeply convicted of how little I know about love and how much I'm unloving. And I just want to say that. Because maybe as you look at your relational world, you find yourself in the same place. In your bulletin, I put in this kind of lime green sheet Evaluate your relationships this week as we start this series to become the church that God wants us to be, to have the relationships that God wants us to be. And your five may be someone else's three, and someone else's three may be someone else's five, but these are basically the relationships that you have in your world. Evaluate where you're at. Now the question that I have is simply this as we close. How do you do it? Well, like I said, it's going to take a while to unpack this thing. It's going to take a while to unpack what's the most important thing. But let me give you five things real quick. One, learn how mature love acts. Personal change always begins mentally with a change of mind. And then it moves emotionally, and then it gets into behavior. Okay? So don't miss one message. And if you have to go somewhere... Get it online. It'll be on the web a few hours after a Sunday service. Secondly, start your day with a daily reminder to love. As you've heard me say, the first 10 minutes of your day really does set the course of your day. So start your day by reminding yourself. I do this every morning before I get out of bed. Okay, God, this is a brand new day. Thank you for life, okay? But, God, if I don't get anything else done today other than loving you more and loving other people... This will be a successful day. Now, to help you with that midday, if you will give me your name and your telephone number, we will text you a verse in the middle of your day around noon like we did for the prayer series. It's a great reminder. Okay, yeah, life is about love, right? The third thing is this. Memorize what God says about love, okay? We need to get our minds renewed. And the first verse, and you're going to have a verse uh, at the bottom of every message or outline is this. It's 1 Corinthians 14.1. Let, let love be your greatest aim. Can you memorize that this week? I, I kind of think so. That, that's an easy one right there, okay? The fourth one is this. Practice acting in unselfish ways. Now, we're going to focus in on Mother's Day, but folks, there's all kinds of hurting people. Just pause in the pursuit of prosperity and reach out and touch. It'd be amazed by just, hey, I just appreciate you. You know, thank you. Give them a hug, whatever. Give them a look, a loving look, okay? Practice it. Practice makes progress. Promises don't. I can't tell you again how many times I've heard people come in, well, I promise I'll never do it again. Where's that gotten you, okay? Practice makes progress. And then lastly, get support. We're gonna be bringing the parats in. They're nationally known. They've got all kinds of books. You can look them up online. They're going to be in the 1st of June. I would encourage you not to miss it. It's only going to be two, maybe three hours at the most, okay? And if you are a young adult, we start the hub tonight, okay? I think around 6 o'clock. So get support. We all need it.
Well, we're off and running. Let's pray. Lord, I just really thank you that you gave us an example of mature Christ-like love in your son, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that he came to earth, that he lived, that he, that he lived and demonstrated what love is like and what it's all about. And that he went, to the, and he went the distance by dying on the cross for us. You said in your word, man's love for someone else isn't any greater than, than him laying down his life for that person. God, that's what you did for us. And to prove that life is all about love, you resurrected from the grave. And we appreciate that, God. You are our supreme model. We want to become like you. We want to have a covenant love with people. Not a contractual one. God, we want our love to be like your love. Because our world needs it. We need it in our world. We need it in our relationships. We need it in our community. And so God, help us these next few weeks. Help us to understand. Help us to apply. Help us to share your love. So God, we give you this. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.